Science is real from the Big Bang to DNA. Science is real from evolution to the Milky Way. You know about the Olympics. You're all up on the Oscars. For teenage science students the world over, the annual Intel International Science and Engineering Fair is all that and then some. This is not your dimly remembered middle school science fair. Hundreds of patents come out of these student projects. So do life-altering careers and the renowned likes of Nobel Prize-winning chemist Paul Modrick and New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. As a student, Christina Costantini competed impressively at ICEF, and she and Darren Foster co-directed the documentary Science Fair, the festival favorite at Sundance last year. The film, which just missed being called Journey to the Top of Nerd Mountain, follows the fortunes of nine high school students whose projects earn them a spot in this high-pressure, high-stakes competition. With the 2019 ICEF beginning this month, Costantini and Foster explain what it's like for the smartest science students in the world. Welcome to Los Angeles! This year's competition includes more than 1,700 finalists from 78 countries, regions, and territories around the world. We are so happy you are here. Congratulations, and have an amazing week. The International Science and Engineering Fair is coming up, and your documentary reminds us who the kids are year over year and what's at stake. Our movie follows nine kids from around the world who are competing at this International Science and Engineering Fair, which is the Olympics of Science Fair. And we uh, had the great privilege of following these kids for two years and seeing their trials and tribulations and their victories and their struggles. And it was one of the most fun things I've ever done. Virtually every kid, at least in the United States, has had to compete in a science fair. I made a desalination plant out of my mother's cake pans, <laughs> a source of great displeasure, and I didn't even win. And you were in a science fair, right, Christina? What were your projects? I studied social conformity, so I developed a test that measured susceptibility to peer pressure in teenage boys. Did you get to this level of competition, this international level? Yeah, I, I did. I And I placed fourth, and it totally changed my life. And set me on a track that I would not have been able to be on if it were not for the science fair. The stakes are very high for many of the kids who compete, and it really can change lives, and it changed the lives of many of our kids in our movie. You worked on it for two years, which means you had to choose these kids way before they ended up in Los Angeles at this science fair. How did you go about selecting these nine really remarkable kids? The casting process was the hardest part of the film. There are 1,700 kids that participate in the science fair in ISAF every year, and they come from almost 80 countries. So we basically cast a very wide net. We went on a scouting trip in 2016 for the first time to see the fair. And we went around and we just basically walked the aisles and we started talking to kids. We talked to like hundreds of kids and we just found kids that had amazing stories. And we wanted the sort of good representation of the kind of kids that wind up at, at, at ISAF. And so that's kids from sort of underdog communities and underdog schools and some kids that go to the powerhouse schools like DuPont Manual High School in Louisville, Kentucky, which is featured in our documentary. DuPont Manual is a name that strikes fear and uh, disgust in the hearts of a lot of other schools. Other kids know that Manual has some of the most 
bright and brilliant students when it comes to science research. So by default, science fair becomes this huge deal to everyone in the school. And then you had students like the girl from Brazil who was in just a village, and she was studying a way to treat or protect from the Zika virus, which had hit her country hard, too. Did you want each of them to be somebody we were cheering for, or were you casting villains, too? Because they are kids and because they're doing such amazing work, you're rooting for all of them at some level. But some of them have such great barriers to overcome, like Milena from Brazil, that it's hard not to want the underdog to, to do well. She now is in the United States studying English, so for her, this fair really changed her life. But in order to find her, we interviewed every single Brazilian student who's, who qualified for the International Fair, over 20 kids. And everybody came from means and from great schools, and aside from Milena. Her father's a farmhand. Her mother's a maid. She lives in a very rural town and was doing incredible work when we met her. And then there was a Muslim girl from South Dakota who had to persuade the school football coach to sponsor her. When I was doing my first science fair project as a high schooler, I realized that I needed someone to act as an official adult supervisor. The science teachers I had then weren't really interested. I asked Coach Schmidt if he was willing to do that. Defense, offense, we all got to act together tonight. And he was very, very willing. All right, get up here. Here we go. I know what she does, and she's explained it to me several times. Um, I'm still not sure how it all works. But she makes it work. Kashfia is one of our favorite characters as well. She also is a bit of an underdog in the fact that she went to a school that is like many schools in the United States where they celebrate the athletics and the football team. But science is not something that was given much respect. But she loves science. And she was looking for a mentor, and none of the science teachers or teachers at the school were willing to sort of dedicate the time that she needed to her project. And she turned to the head football coach at the school who becomes her unlikely mentor. Can you describe what it felt like for all the science students to be there at that competition? It was so surreal for me when I was a teenager. I'm from Wisconsin. I'd never seen that many people in a room <laughs> at one time. It's The entire floor is just buzzing, and you have some of the most nerdy, brilliant minds in that one room. The kids who are otherwise shunned in their high schools as the nerdy kid are finally treated like rock stars. Everybody finally feels like they've found their tribe, which is it's a really beautiful experience and fun to be a part of in the big dance which happens there, which is a mixer, and it's 2,000 kids really getting down in like a club setting. That was important for me to kind of capture that because I loved it when I lived through it myself. It's like a visa for nerds. <laughs> <laughs> the better you are at science fair, the worse you are at dancing. And the energy that they build up because the judges come around to each of these booths and look to see what your project is. And their palms are sweating and they're anxious. Talk about that moment for them. So we had all these kids just reflect what that experience is like to be under eight hours of basically a grilling from judges who are very much experts in their field. And these are 14, 15, 16-year-old kids, and they're facing judges who have been, you know, in their field of expertise for that long. So it's, it's a remarkable that they're able to sort of withstand that pressure, but they do. One of our characters, Kashfia, fainted from the stress of judging. You've been preparing for this for sometimes years, and you have these eight hours to impress some of the most brilliant minds in the world, and you only have one shot. 
For you to select these nine young people was a crapshoot. You didn't know whether they were all going to go the distance or whether any one of them was going to win or come close to winning. We were interested in the science and in the projects that they were doing, but we were really more interested in the students and their stories. And it just so happened that a couple of them also had really great science projects. What's become of these students since you did the documentary? Oh, man. So many interesting things. You know, Robbie, who's from West Virginia, who is basically failing at a math class when we meet him, but he's presenting at ISEF this math theory project. So he's like a math genius on one hand, but he just doesn't do his homework at school. So he's got a very fraught relationship with his math teacher, but he does amazing stuff. He was interested in things like taking apart a graphing calculator. So this is the kind of calculator that Robbie had two years and he did all kinds of things on that that it wasn't meant to do. He programmed his calculator to generate uh, Shakespearean insults. Yep. And uh, every time you would, t- you would punch a button, it would generate another insult. What are Shakespearean oh. insults like? Oh, well, I remember one that was um, something like, Thou art an unwashed puttock. And so he's really on the cutting edge of this intersection between artificial intelligence and art. And he's making amazing paintings and fashion. I was wearing his pants the other day that he made. (laughs) (laughs) He was on the cover of Bloomberg Businessweek. He's doing incredible things that are really shaping his field. Kashfi is at Harvard now and she just did a TED Talk. And everybody else is in college and thriving. And I'm sure we're going to work for them someday. (laughs) Your film won the Audience Award at Sundance. It got 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. What is it about this documentary that people love so much? Because science and your general audience usually don't fit together. Yeah, I mean, these kids are amazing. They're inspiring. And I think they're sort of a ray of hope at this time. I'm going to be so proud when one of my kids win a Nobel Prize, because they will. I think we live during a time when so many adults are acting like children, that seeing children who are acting like adults, who are valuing the things that we should be valuing and working hard and putting in real work, I think it's refreshing. It probably goes without saying that the science they're doing is not baking soda, baking soda volcano kind of science fair projects. <laughs> These kids are doing real cutting edge stuff. And out of the fair that we covered, there were more than 500 patents that came out of that fair. So these kids are doing things that are really going to change the world. And for people who haven't seen it yet, it's not a film about science per se. It's about science students right. and how they feel about science in their own work. Did you argue over the title, Science Fair? We did, yeah. There was a lot of arguments about it because the movie itself is funny and full of quirky kids and Science Fair is maybe drier than we thought. But we went through about 100 names. I remember one was The Journey to the Top of Nerd Mountain. And in the end, we just kept coming back to the fact that science fair was very straightforward and it is what it is. And Science fair is a great American tradition. It dates back to the 50s and, well, actually, World War II. The first national science competition was held in America in 1942. Fairs gained popularity during the 1950s and 60s as the country turned to science to overcome the great challenges of the era. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out, of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. And liftoff! Today, more than 7 million students worldwide compete in science competitions. 
1,700 will qualify for the International Science and Engineering Fair. When we were facing big global challenges, we turned to science. I wish we could say that today. <laughs> the most fun I think we had was going back and meeting the winner of the first ever science fair, Dr. Paul Teshin. He's 93 years young, well, maybe 94, 94 by now. Yeah. yeah. And he's living in Nashville. He had this like amazing career as a doctor and as a professor at a medical school at Vanderbilt. But to this day, at 94 years old, you know, one of the greatest memories he has is of winning the science fair. Uh, I was, you know, minding my own business, and the science teacher said, uh, Paul, there's a, uh, there's a science talent search examination coming up. I think maybe you ought to think about taking that. So I said, sure. It was 1942, so we were already in World War II. My essay was entitled, How Science Can win, Help Win the War. And he really credits that win with putting him on the path to becoming the eventual inventor of prophylactic dialysis. But science fair, I think, is so important for kids at that age. Just it's uh, early validation that they should keep going with what they're interested in. Unfortunately, we were living in a time, I think, where science is very much under attack and definitely not valued as much as it should be. Science fairs have a hard time raising money, organizing. In Oklahoma, they cut the budget for the science fair, so the state science fair lost its funding because the state basically said in its budget they couldn't afford $50,000 to pay for the science fair. ICEF has lost its main sponsor, which was Intel. That's the science fair. Yeah. So um, if you know anyone with millions and millions of dollars <laughs> who wants to support a very good cause... Yeah. The science fair is looking for a funder. If only they could put their projects to rap music, I think we might have <laughs> something here. Well, they do. They do. In our film. There's well, a, yes. a kid. Yeah. And he taught the computer. Is that the one who taught the computer to mm -hmm. rap? Yes. Like Kanye West, yeah. <laughs> I steal your bowels out. That's a real world challenge. You addict of cheating, but I took the charge. Apart from that, are there any of your favorite moments in the doc? What sold the film was a moment, the opening moment of the film, and it's when Jack and Draco wins the science fair in 2012. And it's just an amazing moment. It's like pure exhilaration, pure happiness. He goes on happiness. stage, he cries, he's yes. contorted with yes. joy. <laughs> and the winner of the $75,000 2012 Gordon E. Moore Award in the category of Medicine and <laughs> That was the first thing that Christina showed me when she told me about this idea for the project. And then he wound up, he winds up being kind of a narrator for the science fair experience in our film. I think it's done for me what it's done for the audience, which is just sort of like restored my faith in humanity in the future. Yeah. I think we thought we were going to go straight back to serious investigative work, which is still, I think, where our heart is. But I think seeing how people react to hopeful stories or to humor, I think, has made us think a little bit more about how we might deliver some of the messages that we care so much about investigative stories in maybe a happier wrapping. Well, Darren Foster and Christina Costantini, thank you both so much for Science Fair. Thank, thank you. you Thanks for having us. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Mike Heflin. That's Tom Lehrer on the Lehrer record label. 
Science is Real by They Might Be Giants is on Idlewild Recordings, and moments from the film Science Fair are from National Geographic Documentary Film. Subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks and never miss a podcast. There's holmium and helium and hafnium and erbium and phosphorus.